so tonics are something you can take on a daily basis that can support our body's vitality. It's mostly using nutritive herbs, you know, not um, herbs that you would want to be taking on a regular basis. You are listening to Plant Love Radio, episode number 56. Welcome to Plant Love Radio, a place where you'll discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and resilient life through the wonders of herbal medicine. I'm your host, Lana Camille, a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. You'll love my amazing guests, herbal teachers, clinicians, medicine makers, growers, and artists. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, friends. I hope you're doing very well. When I recorded this episode, my main goal was learning about tonics and shrubs and ways of preparing them. But as I am about to release this episode, the concept become especially relevant. The world is looking for smart ways of containing viral infection transmission. And in my mind, tonics and shrubs could definitely assist us in that. My today's guest is Catherine Langelaire. Kathy has been studying herbs for over 20 years. She's the founder and formulator of Herbal Revolution, the company providing high-quality herbal teas, delicious tonics, elixirs, and shrubs. Herbal Revolution is located in beautiful Midcoast, Maine, where Kathy wild gathers herbs sustainably from coasts, fields, and forests. She also raises non-GMO, pesticide, and chemical-free herbs on her certified organic farm. Herbal Revolution products are made in small batches to ensure the integrity and quality of herbs that are being used. Kathy's company is supporting a giveaway of elderberry elixir, a fire tonic, and love your lungs tea for the listeners of this episode. You can head over to ko-fi.com slash plantloveradio and share what resonated the most with you to be entered into the raffle. During today's episode, Kathy shares a lot of great resources that you can find at plantloveradio.com slash 56. Enjoy. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? Good morning, Lana. I'm good. Thank you for having me. So, so excited to speak with you today. As we begin, can we talk a little bit about how you got interested in plants and herbal medicine, perhaps in your early days? Yeah, it's definitely, it wasn't like a conscious thing, like, oh, I can't wait to go and learn about all these plants around me. It was very subconscious and intuitive um, as a child. I grew up in Maine and I grew up going outside and being outside and spending my days just outside. And so when you're just outside, you, you soak in your surroundings and those were trees and plants and animals. And so I was fascinated by my outdoor life and by the plants that shared it with me. And, um, as I started to get older, you know, I started to learn more things about those plants and one really clear memory is when I was taught that I could eat red clover mm. and to pick, pick it. And, you know, when you pick it, 
there's, you know, it's a purple petal and there's, it, go, it, it goes white down below and there's this little drop and it's the tastiest little drop of nectar. And I remember as a child tasting that little bit of nectar and just having my little brain blown away by how amazing it tasted and how amazing that it was just all right in my lawn. And then it made me think, well, what else can I eat out here? And, and what else can we do? And, and so from there, again, I just grew just learning about the plants in my backyard. And, um, and here I am. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love that very often we become interested because we can see how something applies to us. So in this case, it was like, oh, I can enjoy it. I can, I can eat it. Or I know that a lot of people often talk, oh, I had an illness or something like this, and I was trying to overcome it. In my mind, the best learning happens when you can apply it to your own life. Absolutely. So what happened next? Why did you decide, okay, this is really something that I want to do with my life? Well, that, that took a long time to get to that place because really it was more of a lifestyle. You mm -hmm. know, when I, when I graduated from high school, I was um, living in the woods without electricity, without water, you know, hiking in. I was growing my own food. I was working on organic farms and apprenticing. So really it was more of a lifestyle mm -hmm. choice. Um, I, you know, living the way I was living was a choice and working on all these farms, all these farmers made their own medicine. So not only were they growing their food and putting their food up, they were also making their own medicines and, and throughout that too, just learning about the plants in my ecosystem, what was out in the woods that was edible. I already had an idea of that. And I was learning about what out in the woods was medicinal as well. Mm -hmm. So it was more of like a self-sustaining lifestyle. It was just my lifestyle. And I didn't think of it as anything more than that. It was just a part of how I lived and same with the communities that I was a part of. It was just part of our lifestyle. So getting to the point where it evolved into more of a business or where I'm at today, it took, it took a while to get to that place. Mm -hmm. Um, but it makes sense when I look back. <laughs> it always does. It always does. Right. So, so looking back at those communities and farmers and people that really taught you and inspired you, who were some of your major teachers or some of your biggest teachers and inspirations? Well, there's, there's a number. I mean, I, when I was 18, I believe I went, you know, I was reading books. So a lot of my herbal foundations came from books. Some mm -hmm. of it definitely came from the farmers I was apprenticing with. Of, absolutely. But I went in also with a lot of knowledge or knowledge because I was reading a lot. Okay. So, you know, back when I was a teenager, I was reading books like Tom Brown Jr. <laughs> and, and then, and like Ewell Gibbons. And, and then I believe in 1994, I got one of Rosemary's books mm -hmm. and Deb Sewell. And Deb Sewell is also a main herbalist. Mm -hmm. So they were a huge inspiration, like massive. Um, I remember being up in my cabin one winter after getting Deb's book and just literally diving into that book and trying every single recipe that she wrote in there. And just, I can still feel it. I can still smell working with yellow dock for the first time. You know, even today when I work with yellow dock, it makes me, it, it, it brings me back to this like teenage version of myself 
working with it for the first time. And it was because of uh, something in Deb's book. I, I'm like, I have it right here, but it was her first book, the woman, the book for women's healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they, I would say that Rosemary, both Rosemary and Deb were incredible mentors. They still are. They're friends, they're mentors, and they're continual insp- inspiration to me. That is so wonderful. So you mentioned that your business, Herbal Revolution, eventually evolved from these studies and from these learning, herbal learning. Can you talk a little bit more about it? So let's, let's begin with like, where does the name Herbal Revolution comes from? Yeah. So, um, the name herbal revolution, what, when I decided, when I finally made a decision, like, gee, I think I'm going to start a business. It didn't take long for me to come up with a name. I, um, I sat down one day and I had a pen and a paper and I just started scribbling down some names and then suddenly herbal revolution was on the page. And what came from that, what image I had when, when creating when writing down herbal revolution was the image of a dandelion coming up through the asphalt and breaking through concrete. You know, we're talking layers of concrete and I was a Mason at the time. So I was a stone and brick Mason at the time I started herbal revolution. So I know how thick and hard, you know, concrete can be and imagining these plants and how they come up through it. That is a lot of work. It is, And that takes so much strength and so much resilience and it's like you can't break, you cannot keep them quiet. You cannot quiet the plants. They are going to constantly come up. And it's just the most beautiful thing to me to see dandelion and other plants coming up through the sidewalks and through parking lots. So it's to me, I'm like, that's a revolution. The plants will always take over. We, we create what we create. Mm-hmm. Humans create this you know, these concrete places, but the plants will always, always take it back. It's just so much power and such an amazing force. So you are, uh, you're so right about this. So where, where are you located right now? So our farm, we have a certified organic farm and we're located in Union, Maine. Mm -hmm. And um, we, I just purchased two miles from the farm, um, nine acres and two buildings, which is going to become the home base of Herbal Revolution. Congratulations. Thanks. That's very exciting. It's so exciting. I'm freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) So so one of the buildings is right now being renovated by my um, husband, who's an amazing, brilliant carpenter, Gus. And he is building us a beautiful um, kitchen manufacturing facility. Mm Mm-hmm. And that will be our offices. And then eventually it will also be the drying room and um, it'll be all of our storage. Uh, so everything from the farm will go over there and be dried and be stored there. And we will start growing our own mushrooms as well over there. And then in the smaller second building will become our retail um, for the business, but it's also going to become a cafe. And so we'll be serving our tonics on tap and our teas and coffee, and we'll have some food, a little light, like light foods and maybe even botanical cocktails. <laughs> that sounds so wonderful. That sounds absolutely delicious. How far are you from Boston? 
We are uh, from Boston, I would say three hours. Okay. All right. All right. Well, maybe a little under three hours. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Sounds great. So I know that in your business, you primarily concentrate on making things. So whether they are shrubs and tonics, elixirs, teas, I want to ask you to talk about what goes into making them because you wildcraft and you harvest your plants. I know that you also do it sustainably. And so I was hoping that you could speak a little bit about that. Absolutely. So when I started the business almost 10 years ago now, I was growing on a small plot and I was primarily, I would say, doing a lot of traveling around the state doing Mm -hmm. sustainable wildcrafting. And that that worked for the time. But as uh, the business has evolved and it's grown, that sustainability piece has not, it has no longer been, been sustainable for us to, from, in my opinion, to continue wildcrafting. Mm-hmm. So I will say that the wildcrafting piece is now um, almost, I almost don't do it anymore except for with wild roses. Okay. And, and there's a few spots that I still wildcraft for my own personal use just okay. because I've been going to these places since I was very young. Um, but what's happened with that is that I think as time has gone on for me, I've, um, one, right, it, it's not sustainable for me to continue wildcrafting with the size of the business. Okay. So that was a decision that was that became clear as things evolved for me because sustainability is, is the most important to me. Um, you know, making the products is, is important, but I have to always think about the plants and the plant sustainability. So, so it was, it was, uh, it was easy to make those decisions as the business grew. And it's one thing that I talk about, you know, because I think it's amazing. People are learning plants and they should be learning plants and they should be learning how to find them in their ecosystem and learn how to sustainably um, harvest and wild gather. But the more people that are learning, the more wild gathering that's going on, we always have to be stewards of the land. So I think it's an important piece to always be considering when working with wild plants. And so do you have a recommendation or suggestion for someone who is starting to learn about herbal medicine and is thinking, okay, maybe I'll go and get some clover or whatever it is. Like, what are some of the principles that you keep in your mind, in your head when you are wildcrafting? Yeah. So things like clover is a great one. Clover is um, one that is an abundant plant. So I always think of like, what are, ab- what are plants that are abundant in our ecosystem mm-hmm. that really um, are thriving and doing well? So, so that's the first thing is how, how are the plants looking? What do they look like? If they're not looking good that year, I don't touch them. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I'm going to use St. John's wort, um, Hypericum as an example. Some years the hypericum can be incredible, but other years it's not looking good and I don't touch it. Um, same with yarrow, you know, just, I look at the, I take it year by year. So that's, mm-hmm. that's the first space is like, get to know the plants, get to know their ecosystem, how, how, what a healthy, um, what it looks like to have a healthy amount. Mm-hmm. Other thing too is reaching out to farmers, you know, people that are growing things organically. You may not be growing things organically, but I'm guessing within an hour radius where you are, you could probably find an organic farm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of farms have things like clover 
like clover is a great cover crop. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's a fantastic cover crop. It's something I use here and it's a lot of farmers use. So the farmers are just going to till that right into the ground. They're not even going to use the flowers. Mm-hmm. So they, most farmers are open to people coming out and gathering their wild clover. Uh, the other thing too, is things like um, yarrow or St. John's wort going to organic blueberry fields. I mean, up here we have organic blueberry fields. So in Maine, we're really fortunate, but things like St. John's wort and yarrow are weeds to blueberry farmers. Mm -hmm. It has to be organic. You don't want to go on a non-organic blueberry field, but those farmers will pull St. John's wort out. Yarrow. So, so people can sort of also take advantage of if a plant is going to be already being removed, then Mm -hmm. it can be removed with some love and honor. You said that you also, or you primarily grow your herbs right now. So what are some of the plants that grow on your farm? Oh, we have so many. Um, We have, um, like, we we might have like three acres now under cultivation, a three to four. And so we grow things like red clover and I use it as a cover crop. I use the red clover alongside oats for the milky oat tops. So, so we're using those to build the soil back up Mm -hmm. and um, feed the soil while also harvesting the flowers, the leaves and the milky oats. Um, we grow lots of hyssop Mm -hmm. that goes into our fire tonic and our, um, love your lungs tea. We grow a ton of lemon balm, sacred basil, uh, California poppies, rosemary, lemon verbena, lemongrass, codonopsis, astragalus, um, marshmallow root, lots of marshmallow root, catnip, anise hyssop. Oh, like, there's so much. We, we try to grow as much as we can. And so the farm, you said, is about 10 years old right now. No, the farm is much younger. So, okay. yep, the farm is, uh, we bought this in the end of 2014. So, so the first year really was 2015 and that was more or less moving over 400 plants mm-hmm. from our old spot to the farm. So 2016 was the first year we really started. Um, I really started working the fields. Okay. So it's still a very young farm, but I feel like, you know, we're starting to really, I'm starting to get it, starting it, to feel it through. It just sounds like a magical place. It is. So I know that the primary focus of your business, or at least one of them, is medicine making, making medicine from the plants that you grow. Why is this so important to you? And perhaps uh, what excites you the most about doing this? It's, It's... So medicine making, right? It's because I do work with the plants. I think that... You know, I find formulation to be a really fascinating, I find it to be fascinating and it's also a creative outlet. It's a way of expressing. And I think that maybe I would still be interested in it, even if I didn't work with plants as intimately as I do. But truly, truly, I think because I have this intimate relationship with the the outside world and with the plants, it, it feeds that. It's like, I feel like I'm just sort of this conduit, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm getting the energy from the plants. It's going into me for a minute. And then I'm it's coming out through some of these formulations. So it's, it's just, I feel like this energetic experience that I sort of have an experience. And a lot of the inspiration comes while I'm out working with the plants. I also definitely take into consideration when I think about formulating 
what my community is showing. If there's like a health crisis going on in the community and, or even if there's something going on within my immediate family or myself, Mm -hmm. I, I also sort of take that all into consideration when, um, when formulating, but it is, it's a, it's a creative outlet. It's a way of, um, working with the plants and expressing and creating healing, you know? So a couple of months back, I got your elderberry syrup and, uh, it had maple syrup in it and it's just absolutely delicious and divine. And I know that you do shrubs and tonics, elixirs and teas. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about shrubs and tonics. First of all, what are they? Sure. So our tonic line, you know, there's lots of different ways of expressing a tonic, but um, our tonics, our tonics are, are, so tonics are something you can take on a daily basis that can support our body's vitality. It's mostly using nutritive herbs, you mm-hmm. know, not, um, herbs that you would want to be taking on a regular basis. So how I formulated our tonics was in the base of apple cider vinegar. So Vinegar in general is one of the older ways of if you when you look back in history of how medicine was made and extracted, wine and vinegar was one of the first um, solvents mm-hmm. for um, extracting medicine. So I've I've kind of embraced that with these with these tonic lines as just kind of going back to basics of like where it all started. The other reason for working with vinegar is, um, as opposed to say alcohol, is that for a long time, you know, I, I only had all alcohol products and I started having people ask me, would you make products without alcohol Mm -hmm. on it? And I really didn't understand how to do that. I'm not a fan of glycerin. I don't use Mm -hmm. glycerin in any of my products. Honestly, it just glycerin sort of weirds me out. So I, so I knew that glycerin was not going to be the option for me. And so I started to think about vinegar Mm -hmm. and the thing with vinegar too, is it's a food and I really love food is medicine. Medicine is food. I, I grow food. I work with food. Food is a really powerful thing. And you know, it's all plants. It's all plant medicine. Of course. So I felt like vinegar was a really approachable way for people to, especially people that are not um, as well versed with herbs, like they're new to, to herbal medicine or you with herbs. Tinctures can be sort of esoteric to people. They, they don't know how to use them. They, they often people think it doesn't, they don't taste good. Mm-hmm. So I think that tinctures can be intimidating. Right. So I felt like, how can we take away that intimidation and make, make a, a line that's a little bit more open and welcoming to everyone and have it be like the gateway to herbal, you know, to herbalism. I love that. <laughs> or, you know? Right. Um, so, so that is really kind of where that came from and it was shelf stable, you know, it's all those things as a business owner, I have to also take into other considerations, mm-hmm. you know, and so shelf stability, shelf stable. So, um, so that's sort of where, where the tonic line came from for me and why I decided to create it. So I know that uh, tinctures are a little bit longer lasting or a little bit more stable. Can you talk about typical stability for many of the tonics or many of the shrubs? Yeah, so we put on our bottles that they're stable for two years, but they really are an indefinite. And Mm -hmm. we get, we we put our tonics through um, some 
through testing. They get tested okay. through Cornell Labs. Okay. And the Cornell, yeah, the Cornell Labs have them tested as indefinite. So, but we like to put two years and honestly, I suggest people use it within six to eight months just because I think it's going to be more vital. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. In my introduction, I mentioned that Kathy's company is generously supporting this episode's raffle by donating elderberry elixir, a fire cider tonic, and love your lungs tea. To participate in the raffle, please head over to co-fee.com slash plantloveradio or find the link in the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 56. Comment on the giveaway post of the episode you're listening now. What was your favorite part of this interview? I will choose a winner when the next episode goes live. The software also allows you to support my work, but you do not have to be a supporter to participate in the giveaway. I look forward to your thoughts on the episode. Before we return to the interview, the winners of the last giveaway for John Slattery's Midwest Medicinal Plants book are Jasmine, Jane, and Cheryl. Ladies, please reach out with a quick hello email to lana at lanacamille.com so we can ship your prize. Now let's get back to the conversation. Because we're talking about shrubs and tonics, and most of them are made with vinegar, what are some of the plants that go really well into vinegar and make really good tonics or really good shrubs? Sure. So, so um, I'm going to just talk about the tonics and shrubs a little separate. So our tonic line is more um, of functional medicine. It's their okay. formulas. So each tonic, we have five right now, mm-hmm. five, and our five tonics all have a specific focus. So mm-hmm. we have you know, our digestive tonic. So that's for supporting digestive health, nervous system health, you know, um, the elderberry tonic, which is immune. So things like that. So the tonics are really focused, focused in where the shrubs are more, those are fun. You know, yes, they're medicinal. I mean, I have, they definitely are medicinal, but they're also a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. And those are meant, and they're very simple. That's the other thing too, is our shrubs are so simple. They're three ingredients. It's just the vinegar, the honey, and then whatever the flavor is. Okay. So, I mean, you don't have to do it that way. We, that's just, you know, we have three in our line right now. And so that's how it's done. So, so the shrubs are more for making, this part's a little confusing. I mean, I do suggest using the tonics and shrubs in a very similar way. Mm -hmm. I do suggest using them to make into drinks or adding to water or sparkling water. Um, but there's a lot more honey in the shrubs. They're a lot sweeter and they're a lot more geared towards making botanical cocktails and things of that nature. So with shrubs, you can use whatever you want. Often it's a lot of, um, fruits and really aromatic kinds of plants. Um, you know, we have a rose, a white pine and a blueberry, but I've made some incredible, I made a, I tried making a, um, oh, it came out so good. An apple pie shrub. Oh, oh my, my gosh. It yeah. Was so, it was so good. And so that was definitely more blending of like apples. So it was fresh apples off the property and some cinnamon and nutmeg and oh, all the spices. Ginger. Yes. Yeah. All the spices, fresh ginger. That was a delicious shrub. And I did a cranberry one and, you know, so you can really get playful with the shrubs 
Um, I feel like with the shrubs, when I'm not thinking of like a specific issue, the, you know, and I'm just going for flavor, the world, you know, it's unlimited, the fun that you can have where the tonics I'm, I'm gearing more for something specific. Am I, I'm focusing on the immune system. You know, I want to create like an alcohol free way for people to access some medicine Mm -hmm. and so some herbal medicine and, and with vinegar herbs that, you know, herbs that are really high in minerals and nutrients tend to be a really great, um, vinegar is a really great solvent for herbs like that. Mm-hmm. So our really mineral rich herbs like nettles and alfalfa and raspberry leaf and clovers, these are really nutrient rich and the vinegar does a great job of extracting, um, those properties. So, so those make a really great vinegar base uh, herbs for vinegars. That's awesome. So something that I wanted to ask you about is, first of all, if someone wanted to try making a shrub on their own, would they be able to do that? What are some of the steps that you would recommend? Right. It's so easy. That's the beauty of it. I love it so much. It's just so easy. You just get yourself some great, delicious organic apple cider vinegar and if you have a local farmer, which is how I started, this is actually another piece of why I started making the, the tonics and the shrubs is um, down the street in my community was the oldest organic apple orchard in the state of Maine, Sewell's mm-hmm. Orchard. Um, and the farmer, Bob, is an amazing man who taught me over the years so much about vinegar and the health benefits of vinegar. So it was also working with another farmer in my community, supporting them mm-hmm. and using their vinegar. You know, at this point we've, we've grown and they couldn't supply us that with all the vinegar we need, but, but that's, that's a huge, that's a huge piece of why also I decided to start making the tonic line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you get yourself some really good vinegar and And if you are open to sugars, I say then get a nice, wonderful local raw honey as well. Mm -hmm. And, and then it's a matter of, do you want to make a shrub or do you want to make a tonic? You know, um, if people are looking for making a shrub, then I say, what's fresh right now in season, like strawberries or rhubarb, rhubarb and strawberries are both in season right now. So I would get a a half gallon mason jar or a quart jar, either or, and I would, um, I'm trying to think of the ratios. I would probably, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a half gallon because I can do that a little bit easier. So if you were to take a half gallon mason jar, fill that with two cups of honey and then chop up um, or first chop up a bunch of berries, strawberries and rhubarb and fill the jar up with, um, fill it, fill it right up. So, you know, roughly eight cups of chopped strawberries and rhubarb, take two cups of honey, pour it into that jar and then fill the jar up with the rest with vinegar, shake that up. And I would use a plastic cover if you can get them or some sort of barrier. The metal covers will corrode a little bit with the vinegar. So you could put a piece of cheesecloth in between the lid. And then I would let that sit for four weeks and shake it up. Every, you know, every so often check on it, shake it up and, and check to see if it's soaked up a little bit. So I would um, add more vinegar to the top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let it sit for four weeks and then strain and then 
save the strawberries and the rhubarb, strain off the beautiful, it's going to be beautiful. So this is going to be a beautiful red vinegar and you can use it as salad dressings or you could use it as a cocktail mixer or just add it to sparkling water. And it is going to be so refreshing and delicious. Oh, and then the rhubarb, mm-hmm. yeah, the rhubarb and, and strawberries that you saved, you could turn that into a chutney. You could like chop that up and add, you know, some blueberries, fresh blueberries or fresh grated ginger and serve it as um, like alongside a, a salad or something. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So one question, when the vinegar is sitting for four weeks, dark place or not? I do prefer a dark place. I definitely don't. I do. I, you know, you could let it sit out on your, on your like, counter. As, just keep it out of the sun. I do like to keep things out of the direct sunlight. Okay. All right. Great. Wonderful. So uh, what I really love, this is a great gateway for people to get to know different plants, different herbs, and also foods. And the fact that you were talking about vinegar and the health benefits of vinegar, there are so many of them. In general, I wanted to talk a little bit about one specific type of tonic, which is called fire cider. Is this something that you make? Yes, it is something that I make. Can you tell us a little bit about it? What is the history behind it? Yeah, sure. So fire cider is um, is an older uh, recipe that I learned. I learned it back in the 90s from actually a farmer mm-hmm. um, that I was apprenticing with around 1996-ish. And, um, you know, as the years evolved, I, I did learn that Rosemary Gladstar back in the late seventies created the, you know, came up with the name and created the recipe that she has um, in all of her books today. And um, you know, she teaches about and has been teaching about four years. I think that that's the part that's so amazing. Rosemary has been teaching this recipe since 79. Mm -hmm. And I knew Rosemary. I didn't have it in one of my books in 1994. The book I bought in 1994 didn't have it in there. But in 1996, I learned about fire cider from a farmer mm-hmm. who had a bunch of her books. So it's just it's just like this ripple effect of how things can happen. So when you're making fire cider, what are some of the ingredients that go into it typically? Yeah, so typically... Um, horseradish, onions, garlic, ginger, turmeric, and um, some sort of hot pepper. We use habanero peppers in our formula. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think of that as sort of the base core recipe. And then I always encourage people and say, now, you know, you can do all kinds of other things to it. You know, you have that core recipe, but what else, you know? So for our, our blend, we also add dandelion and burdock root Mm. along with rosemary, hyssop and thyme. Very nice. So yeah. And there's lemon in it and honey. Okay. Okay. So it's not just hot, hot and spicy, but there is sweetness from the honey, right? Okay. There's definitely sweetness from the honey. And with our blend, I mean, it smells like pizza when we're (laughs) making it. (laughs) We have the rosemary and the thyme and the garlic and the onions. So we definitely have a more savory. Ours is a very savory kind of flavored version due to the herbs that we use in it. So um, yeah, it's, but the honey definitely helps counterbalance that heat. You know, I believe, you know, we want that heat. I think that heat's important, but for our formula, we didn't want the heat to like 
blow your, I wanted the other flavors to come through and not have the heat be the total focus. Right. And so how do you see people usually using fire cider? Yeah. Um, my husband, Gus likes to just drink it right from the bottle. Okay. (laughs) Morning. But, um, but I, I definitely, I definitely encourage, I mean, I think taking it by the shot, if you're having an acute situation, mm-hmm. I do think that taking it raw, like straight undiluted is a very powerful way of using the tonic. But if you're not using it for acute situations and you're using it more for preventative care or long-term use for things like inflammation or upper respiratory support, um, I do think that like diluting it in water is best. Um, the thing with vinegars is vinegars can be really rough on the enamels of our teeth. So I do, um, suggest really, um, using it with some water to just dilute that. Okay. But people also use it as salad dressings Mm -hmm. and I, I like to cook with it, um, or like add it to roasted vegetables after the vegetables have been roasted or add it to soups because it's so savory. It brings in this really nice flavor at the Mm -hmm. end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and so marinades and things of that type as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I, I use all the vinegar, even the shrubs that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you're saying acute situation, we're talking someone is coming down with a cold or something like this, right? Okay. Yes, um, people that are really starting to feel that they're getting congested and or they are already congested. Mm-hmm. The other um, acute situation would be allergies. Okay. Okay. Or the coming down allergy. Great to know. So some of our listeners might know that fire cider, there has been a controversy going on and there has been something happening around fire cider. And I know that you are somehow involved in it. Could you talk to us about this, please? Sure. Yeah. So um, back in January of 2014, the herbal community kind of the herbal community learned that a company in Western Massachusetts trademarked the term fire cider. And how we learned of this was uh, some herbalists were on selling fire cider on Etsy and Etsy started contacting these stores saying you can no longer use or sell this product because it's trademark infringement or something along those lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so suddenly, you know, the, the larger community of herbalists um, online became aware that this, that Fireside had been trademarked and people were pretty upset. You know, this is a term that people in the community have been using for years. I, I think of it as it's one of those recipes that most every beginner herbalist use, creates. It's like one of the, I think, again, going back to gateway, it's such, it's, it's ingredients that you find in your kitchen mm-hmm. and it's just this really great formula that everybody can make. Mm-hmm. And so really disheartening to learn that this company just trademarked it. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened was then a process of, there's this process that you can go through to appeal the US, the United States patent trademark. Um, and that process was being started by some herbalists and um and in the, in the midst of that, this company sued three herbalists, myself included. So um, Mary Blue and um, of Pharmacy Herbs and Nicole Telkish of Wildflower Herbals 
um, were also sued along with myself. Mm-hmm. And we have been in a lawsuit since 2015. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah, it's it's been a... Uh, there's a lot that I can't say. Right. And there's so much I'd love to say. <laughs> right. But so yeah. the the first time when I learned about the fact that it was trademark, I kind of thought it's as if you say, okay, oatmeal right now is trademarked and nobody can use the words oatmeal. So it, it's very, very strange to really, to conceptually to me that someone can, can do that. What I want to ask you is, why do you think it's so important for herbalists to really to raise awareness of this issue? Well, it is important because this is doesn't this isn't just an isolated situation, right? This fire cider, this is happening all over. We're seeing um, you're seeing trademarks and people uh, traditional formulas taken from traditional peoples and somebody claiming it as their own and putting a trademark on it. Yet it might have been this ancient remedy from a specific culture mm-hmm. that was not theirs, and we're seeing things like that. I think that. Um, is it Young Living, the essential oil company, they trademark the thieves um, recipe. And that's, that's such an old recipe, the thieves, the four thieves. Mm-hmm. And for them to call it as their own is just really atrocious. And so we're seeing these big companies, you know, granted the, the company that's suing us is big to us. It's not a massive, but nonetheless, it, these, these companies that have more money than this, than the communities that they're taking these trademark, you know, these formulas from, mm-hmm have more money and, and can, it feels like it's a bullying power. And, you know, I feel like this whole lawsuit was, you know, well, we'll just bully our way to this trademark. We won't let it go through the proper proceedings. And, you know, we've been really clear that we could have settled a lot, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And it was so clear that that wasn't, we, we couldn't, we couldn't in our hearts do that because this needs to go all the way through and we want, it's so important that this company can't do this to other herbalists. We hope that we will win and that this will set a precedence for everyone and for other formulas and um, in our community and, and in other um, areas as well, that big companies just can't come and take this from, from small communities. Thank you for what you're doing. And I also wanted to ask, how can someone who is listening to this learn more? Yes. So we have a website called freefiresider.com mm-hmm. and it gives a whole explanation of the origins and the history of firesider and and these many years of us um, dealing with this trial because it, it's been a long, long time. <laughs> Is there a way to support the three of you through the website as well? Yeah, there are, there is. Um, we've had to have fundraisers in order to, in order for us to, make this happen. It's, you know, this is, um, we've had to raise some money. And and so there's, there's ways that way, but also people can support us by spreading the word and, um, and also going to their stores and advocating for small local, you know, advocating for herbalists, you know, and advocating for herbal products made by herbalists. Thank you. Thank you so much. So few things that I wanted to ask you about is we talked a lot about shrubs and tonics and one in particular, but I wanted to ask you um, about few of the resources that you could recommend to someone. So I know that you mentioned uh, several different books. Is there anything else that kind of comes to your mind 
for uh, a listener who might be interested in trying these things or finding recipes, where would you recommend they go? Oh my gosh. There's so many places to go now. I, mm -hmm. I just want to speak on that for just a minute. When I sure. was starting out, there was the bookstore and the library mm -hmm. and there was just a small amount of books. And now, oh my gosh, there is such a plethora of information out there. There's a whole host of amazing things online. There's so many herbal books out there now. It's, it's really quite amazing. So where to start is really over, there's so many places to start. I always think that Rosemary, any book by Rosemary is you are going to have, you're going to be really good starting off with any of Rosemary's books. And um, Deb Sewell, who I had mentioned earlier, um, is a great one. And then there's some newer books that are coming out. Deb Sewell's book is The Roots of Healing. And she also has a book called um, The Herbalist's, uh, the, How to Move Like a Gardener. Mm -hmm. There's a newer book that just came out that I was really, that I really loved. And I'm not going to remember the name of it, but it's by Marie. Marie Noelle, Noelle Groves. Yep. Yeah, no, Noelle Groves. Um, oh, here it is. Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies. Yes, yes. I'll definitely include that. That's a more, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really nice one. The one by Rosemary that I think is a really great one for beginners to start that is loaded with recipes is Herbal Recipes for Vibrant Health. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Yes. All right. Wonderful. So, Kathy, as we're coming to an end, I have a couple of more questions. So one of them is how can our listeners find you on the web, learn more about you, learn more about your business? learn more from you. And then my last question for you is, do you have any parting thoughts for us? Yeah. So um, for finding us, our website is herbalrev.com, mm -hmm. H-E-R-B-A-L-R-E-V.com. And then we, to kind of keep up with what's going on daily, our Instagram is really where I post a mm -hmm. lot of photos and kind of keep in sh keep up with things. So that's just herbal revolution. Mm -hmm. And, and then come this late winter, we will hopefully have um, our retail cafe open. So people that want to come to Union, Maine, and I would just want to speak a bit on that too, if you don't mind, sure. is, um, on the nine acres, we plan to have trails and gardens for people. Uh -huh. So we want it to be a space that's community-based and open to the public. So there'll be trails and uh, teaching gardens. And we also plan to start offering a lot more herbal workshops at this new um, space as well. So, so keep, you know, keep tuned for, for all of that to come. Um, it's, yeah, it's really exciting. Fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. And so any words of wisdom, any, any parting thoughts for our listeners? Well, I, I just want to say thank you all for, for listening and thank you so much for having me. It's, I feel honored to have spoken with you today and, and I'm so grateful that you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And, uh, for, for all of your wonderful listeners, I think that, um, I hope people, just want to learn more about the plants and, and become stewards of the land. And I think that some of the easiest ways of doing that is, you know, stopping to make a cup of tea mm -hmm. that, you know, taking time to just sit and sip on a cup of tea, 
grow a plant. And, and if you don't, if you live in an apartment or in a city, so many plants can grow in pots. Mm-hmm. You can be surrounded by them in pot. It's amazing the pot, the, the garden you can create out of just um, windowsill plants. And for people that live, you know, accessible to getting outside, go outside. Take take that time to just go and sit and um, discover a plant. You know, even if it's like a plant once a month, try to learn about a plant once a month. I love that. Kathy, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation with Kathy Langelier. Towards the end of the episode, we talked about free firesider movement. And I'm thrilled to share with you that the course has ruled in favor of herbal medicine community. And firesider is now considered to be a generic term. This episode has been proudly brought to you by Herbal Revolution. You can find the link to the site in the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 56. The company generously offered to raffle its elderberry elixir, a fire cider tonic, and love your lungs tea for the listeners of this episode. To enter a raffle, head over to co fee.com slash plantloveradio and post a comment on the giveaway post perhaps something that resonated with you. Are you listening to Plant Love Radio for the first time? Please subscribe to the podcast to seamlessly get future episodes downloaded to your device. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to many amazing guests and topics. And of course, nothing says thank you better than sharing this show with a friend who might enjoy it and giving us a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. The music you hear in the introduction was written by a neighbor of mine, David Scholl, and is called Something About Cat. My deepest gratitude to Bill Gilligan for this opportunity to play it. Thanks again for being here today. I really appreciate you. Till the next time, thank you for loving plants and planting love. Mm-hmm.